Welcome into the 20th episode of the Card Chronicle podcast. Mike Rutherford and Danny Sonar back with you on a Monday, and it's a big Monday uh, around here. Louisville takes care of North Carolina over the weekend, but the main focus of today's podcast is going to be the big showdown with Florida State, maybe the game of the year in the ACC. Huge implications for Louisville. Um, we were planning on doing a, like a North Carolina-specific episode, but because the game was so bad, I mean, UNC just looked abysmal. We figured we could talk about that relatively quickly and then get on to the FSU stuff. But before we do all that, Dan, 20 episodes, man. We made it. Yeah, 20. That was my uh, high school basketball number. Me and uh, the late, great Reed Markham. So I, I guess, yeah, if you're looking back in Trinity lore, you're probably going to look at, at me wearing the number 21st. But yeah, I can't Did you really take Reed Markham's number after he graduated? I, I did. I took 20. Not Holy because shit. of it. No, I didn't even I didn't I didn't take his number. Um, it was given to me. But uh, yeah, it just I guess uh, shooters only were that number. So Markham um, was a Catholic basketball <laughs> god. I mean, that kid just those Trinity teams like our first couple of years were just were terrible. Like they were not good at all. But Reed Markham was out there dropping 45 on people. And I'll never forget that he went to William and Mary. It made me love the tribe. Love Reed Markham. Can't believe you wore his number. Yeah, I, I remember like I remember playing like pickup against him like when I first got there, and I was like, "Is this how good I'm gonna have to get?" Because I was <laughs> like, "This guy's really good." Um, but no, yeah, it was uh, it was big shoes to fill. I just remember thinking that he was like it was a crime that he wasn't offered a scholarship by Louisville. I was like, "What are we doing?" I'm like, "This, this is symptomatic of why Denny Crump's failing. We can't offer Reed Markham a scholarship." Like in my mind, he was the greatest basketball player who ever lived. But yeah, shout he was to Reed Markham. Good. Shout out to Reed Markham. Uh, shout out to 20 episodes. We'll start before we get into the FSU stuff. We will recap a little bit of what happened on Saturday. Louisville takes care of business against a even more shorthanded North Carolina team than we were expecting. I guess it was like an hour before tip-off. We find out that both Garrison Brooks, who maybe has been Carolina's best player this year. I know Cole Anthony is leading them in scoring, but he's been hurt for a long period of time. Garrison Brooks has been their most consistent player. I think about 15 points per game, nine rebounds per game. We find out that both he and Justin Pierce, their second or, or best reserve, were not going to play in this game. Brooks had an illness. Pierce had an ankle injury. Roy Williams kind of does this. It's a it's a weird thing where he keeps injuries really close to the vest. But that pretty much put to bed like the little bit of fear that I had for this game. You were actually at the game. You brought your son. You brought Cam. Uh, you took some great pictures. What was the experience like at the Yum Center for you guys? I mean, it was awesome. Like, anytime, you know, you get to take your – your five-year-old son you're gonna have a good time um it was it's it was so weird being in a North Carolina game and not being like on edge the whole game it was like the most relaxed atmosphere you could possibly have for you know like a name brand like North Carolina and like you said I mean they just looked abysmal like you read about it and you watch their games and you know, it's it's really hard to believe they're that bad until you see them in person then you're like I mean I don't even think the cards played particularly great. I don't think they played bad. I, I just don't think we really got anything out of that game because, you know, Carolina looks so terrible. But it was a good overall experience. I'm glad I got to bring my son, even though he, he made it about, like, a half before he started to get antsy. The, the entire second half, it was, like, me trying to watch the game with him, like, directly in my face asking me to blow more bubbles to see how big of a bubble I could blow in my face. So I'm, like, trying to watch the game. So kind of got a, uh, a blurry 
you know, uh, view of the second half, but um, it, it was a great game to be at. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's – I wrote this right after the game. It's funky to talk about a win over North Carolina by 17 points in late February and have it feel like it didn't really mean all that much. And it was weird, too, because Carolina – we mentioned this before the game on our last pod. Besides Wake Forest, for the last three weeks, they've been playing everybody really close. They've been right there in games. And I know not having Brooks and Pierce probably played a, a part in this, but this was the – this kind of felt like the biggest throwaway game we've had in ACC play so far where I just kind of was like, I don't really know what exactly we got out of this. And it also was the first time where I think after the first two segments, like eight minutes into the first half, the score wasn't, you know, we were only up by two or three or something like that. But it it was the first time in any conference game where I've been like, I have zero concern at all. Like, like these guys are dog shit. We are going to pull away. There's going to be a run at some point, probably in the next 10 minutes or so where we put this thing to bed and it's not going to be close after that. And sure enough, Louisville pulls away, uh, goes up by 13 in the at halftime, and then kind of coasts to victory in the second half. And I'm with you, too. Like I didn't think that we played particularly well. Uh, it was nice to see Jordan get off the schneid a little bit. Malik Williams continued to be fantastic. Dwayne Sutton was a dog. But you kind of expected that going into this game. It, just, it was a kind of clean performance. We shot the ball better from three than we had in a couple of the recent games, 9 of 25. We turned it over probably still a little bit too much, uh, 12 turnovers. It just it felt weird to watch that North Carolina team, one, have so few offensive weapons, and two, just get beat to death by us on the boards because even as bad as they've been this year, they've still been one of the better offensive rebounding teams in the country. And I know not having Brooks, again, plays a big part in that. But it's just I was taken by the fact that besides Cole Anthony, every player they had out there just looked like somebody who had zero offensive confidence. Like they would get the ball in their hands if it's Christian Keeley, Keeling, uh, Brandon Robinson, Leaky Black, like any of those guys. And if it was an ISO situation, they would stare at our defender and kind of have this, what the fuck do you expect me to do here? Look on their face. Like, like, like what, what am I going to do? Like, this is going to end poorly for all of us. Just take me out of the game. Let's end the season. Like that's, that's how bad they were. They just, I've never seen a, a program that you're so used to having elite level talent look so, I mean, just average. They, like, I don't, I don't think North Carolina would win. I know they wouldn't win the Southern Conference. I'm not sure they would win the Big South this year. Like it's, it's a it's a bad bad team. And when you take away a couple of key contributors, they look even worse. I don't. I mean, is there anything significant that you take away from this win on Saturday? Honestly, no. Um, I guess if there was one thing to take away, it, it, I'm sure the number one thing on the scouting report and game plan was to rebound well, and they did that. Um, so you know, props to them for that, obviously. But just at the level North Carolina played, I, I can't really take away, you know, too much from this game. I mean, really, their whole offense was, you know, either Anthony trying to go one-on-one, which I don't blame him for doing. Like you said, he doesn't really have a lot of options. And for some reason, we kept leaving their shooter, uh, Andrew Plattick, a couple times, like, for no, he's like the one guy that can knock down open shots. So um, I know he had a couple threes, but really they they had nothing else and yeah like you said i mean our our horses kind of showed up this game which was nice it just it was kind of just i mean on paper it, it it was a clean game but it was just when you're there it was a little bit choppy like even the crowd couldn't get like super into it there was no like you know like big 3 like over the top dunk or anything it was just a a solid performance get the win and move on to the next game it's again. It's weird to be thinking about. We just beat Jim Beheim by 
whatever it was, was it 25 points, 24 points, uh, 90 to 66, I think was the final the other night. And then you beat Roy Williams by 17. Those are two Hall of Fame coaches. Like they, they, Syracuse and North Carolina are two of the teams that you expect to be in the top four or five of this league every single year. And here we are being like, yeah, you know, we beat Syracuse by 26. We beat Carolina by 17. Does that really even matter? Like, like, do you really take anything? Are we really prepared for Leonard Hamilton and Florida State on Monday? Let me ask you this. With that being said, and I know, I mean, you can't do anything overnight, but do you think we're, we're getting closer and closer to maybe the changing of the guard to some of these old dog coaches that have been in the league for years, like a Bayheim, like a Roy Williams? Um, I mean, because, yeah, I mean, both teams have just been awful this year. I know Carolina's got a really good recruiting class coming in, but, you know, you just kind of wonder how much longer this is going to go on. I think with Bayheim, the answer is yes. I think with Roy Williams, it's it's no. It, I, I think that he's still got, like, as long as Roy Williams is going to be around, I think that Carolina, besides this year, is going to be good and is going to be nationally relevant. I think Syracuse is flipping to a point where, like, I, I don't know if they're going to be back in that category consistently before Bayheim calls it a career. I mean, you mentioned it. North Carolina's got four McDonald's All-Americans coming in next year. That's more than anybody else in the country. Um, they may be adding another one. I know they're trying to get some roster space open. They're going to be. I think they're going to be really good next year. I think this has just kind of been a crazy one-off, uh, bizarre thing with Syracuse. I don't know. I mean, their best runs in recent years have come when they've had kind of just average seasons, snuck into the tournament, and then gotten hot at the right time because it, college kids can't read a two-three zone on short notice. But I wonder where Syracuse goes from here um, as far as I think whenever Bayheim does retire, I mean, he's what, 73 years old? He's, or he's older than that. I, he's up there. He's in his mid-70s. When he does call it a career, I wonder, one, what state the program is going to be, and two, does whoever follows him up, like, can they recruit at that level? It's not an easy thing to recruit to Syracuse, New York. Like, like Kids don't want to spend their winters in, in Syracuse, New York. And uh, I just wonder if, you know, the kids that have been going there for years because they had a Hall of Fame coach just stop going and Syracuse becomes, I don't want to say average, I think they should be better than, than that, but I do wonder if they can remain a perennial national powerhouse in the post Bayheim era. Yeah, and, you know, he's got Buddy Bayheim playing. You wonder when, you know, his his, uh, his son hangs it up, if, if that might be it for him. But, yeah, like you said, you know, whoever's in there next, that's just that's going to be a tough job. It kind of reminds me, even though they won a title, but it kind of reminds me of when Calhoun left Connecticut. I know Ollie had the, you know, the cupboard was stacked when he got there. Um, but, you know, after that, it was downhill quickly and they're still trying to rebuild that thing. So, uh, you know, you wonder if it's going to be kind of a similar situation without, you know, I don't think they're gonna, there's going to be much left over when Bayheim leaves. No, for sure. And I know that Syracuse has Dior Johnson coming in. Uh, still some can, some question about whether or not he's actually going to play there. Uh, we'll see. Uh, he, if he does, he definitely makes them more fun. But North Carolina can attest to this. It, it takes more than just one five-star kid to save a season. Uh, I mean, Cole Anthony, even if he was healthy the entire year, North Carolina is not an NCAA tournament team. I don't think there's any, any doubt about that. The weirdest thing about this North Carolina game was, you know, they're playing this. It's a big game for them, obviously. I mean, or at least it's a, it's a big-time opponent for them. February 22nd, they started a lineup that had never been on the floor with one another for one second the entire season. Like Their starting five had not spent one second on the court the entire year together, which is just a a, a bonker set. And I know that 
I think the the number that was thrown out there was they've had like 11 different lineups in the last three games that had never played one second on the court before this together. And Roy Williams was asked about it after the game, and he said he's like. I don't know, man. He's, he's like, I, he's sure. like, all I know is I'm not going to be talking about this crap in nine months. Like Roy Williams could not, if you could take a pill and fast forward four weeks from now, Roy Williams would 100% just gulp that pill down and be ready to turn the page and, and pretend that oh, 20 His, his Pinehurst tea times have been booked for months. <laughs> like he is, he's, he's got the bucket hat, like literally sitting on like his straw bucket hat, literally sitting on his locker, ready to head out to the course as soon as the buzzer sounds in the ACC tournament. Would you rather, like if you're a North Carolina fan right now, would you, cause you've got, besides Duke, like, Duke's obviously its own category. The next three weeks, would you rather have games like the one that you had on Saturday against Louisville where the team just looks shitty and you're never really engaged? Or would you rather, like, have your heart broken a couple more times but be competitive? Like, at this point, I would just assume, like, just get these things over with. Like, let's just – let's bow out. Let's play Andrew Playtex 35 minutes. Let's play uh, K.J. Smith 25 minutes. Let's just put everybody in there. Who cares? Let's just get this thing over with. Yeah, I mean, I get what you're saying. That would just be so hard. I mean, with with Cole Anthony, and I mean, we know he's he's talented. He's probably going to be a top. I mean, it, he was top five. Now it's top ten. Who knows where he's going to end up? But you never know. I mean, they, they could randomly. I have no idea how they do it, but they could ride, you know, his hot hand and and steal a win or two. But I I just I don't think there's a way that, that they could win the ACC tournament. But I, I would, you know, I wouldn't mind if it meant getting to play meaningful games. I wouldn't mind getting my heart broken a couple more times. It's still going to feel so bizarre on ACC tournament Tuesday, watching like North Carolina pit at like, whenever that game's going to be played. Like that's supposed like, this is when Josh Pastor shines. Th- th- this is what he does. Like he, he lives for ACC tournament Tuesday. So does your boy, Danny Manning. You expect Boston college to be down there. Um, I think we all thought this year, Virginia tech was going to be in that bottom five. They probably actually, they, they probably still will be at this point, but North Carolina, it's going to feel really awkward watching them play on that first day. of the You tournament. know what, man? There was a decent amount of, uh, you know, Tar Heel fans in the Yum Center yesterday, which is, I know, I mean, I know they're a national brand, but even with how bad they were, I was surprised with how many fans. So that's a testament to their fan base, uh, you know, how well they travel. So, um, like, have, a, have to give a shout out to their fans. Yeah, I was with one today, uh, Brian Smith. His whole family rejected him, so he had to cheer for UNC. He wore his UNC stuff, sat with his family, and got embarrassed on Saturday. So, you know, if you felt like getting embarrassed, congrats to you. You look great, <laughs> but whatever. You, you, you lost bad. That's, that's, what, yeah. that's, how, that's what happened. Um, all right, let's go ahead and turn the page. Let's talk about, I think, what most people here want to spend more time talking about, since it is game day if you're listening to this on Monday, and, and I assume you are. Big Monday. Louisville on the road at Florida State. Louisville's 14 and 3 in the conference. They got a half game lead on both Duke and FSU. FSU 23 and 4 overall. Louisville 23 and 5 overall. These teams not just fighting for the ACC regular season title, the number one seed in the ACC tournament. They're fighting for potentially like a spot on that two line in the NCAA tournament, or or potentially a chance to slide up there and grab a one if some crazy stuff happens over these last couple of weeks of the regular season. I mean, this is this is a gigantic deal, and I saw FSU announced on Sunday night. It's sold out, um, and and for as good as they've been at home, it's typically an arena that does not sell out. They don't have huge crowds there. They just win for bizarre reasons. I can't even tell you why. There doesn't seem to be any rhyme or reason. But man, late February, I, I kind of hate that this is a a Monday night game. It, feel, it would feel better maybe midweek 
or obviously on Saturday, but still, it's hard not to be just completely juiced up for this one. I know, and I saw that we got McDonough and Billis on the call, which kind of got me even jacked up even more. But yeah, I mean, it's the cliche saying, but these are why these are games why you come to Louisville so you can play in these type of games. Um, yeah, I I, I kind of hate being on a Monday night, but um, you know, I, I I really think the place will be juiced up. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's obviously a revenge game for us and it means a lot. I mean, we saw what happened last night in the college basketball landscape with, um, you know, San Diego state Gonzaga. So you never know these past, you know, these last couple of weeks, um, what can happen. So you just got to go out there and, and, you know, try to win a game and hope that, you know, it improves your seed, but yeah, we're, we're going to be up against it. I think this is a tough matchup for us, obviously, like we saw in the first first game we played them. And when you look around the country, and Maryland loses on, on Sunday as well, so Gonzaga goes down, SDSU goes down, Maryland goes down, and, and those like, all three of their losses were kind of understandable besides, I guess, San Diego State's to UNLV, but that was their first loss. And so you could say, well, that probably doesn't change. Like, Louisville didn't steal anybody's spot there. No, but it did set the stage for if they slip up again or maybe a couple of times between now and Selection Sunday, Louisville could jump up there and grab, you know, a two-seed away from Maryland. Or, or maybe if they went out, grab that last one-seed from San Diego State or something along those lines. So it is, you know, it, this weekend did make things a little bit more interesting. It did crack the door open for Louisville just a bit. It also cracked the door open for Florida State. I mean, they're playing for the exact same things as we are at this point. And I mentioned the the home dominance that they've had. They've won 21 consecutive games at home. They haven't lost at home this season. They're the only ACC team that hasn't been beaten in conference play on their home floor. They're the only ACC team that has a perfect record overall. Those two things obviously go hand in hand. But it hasn't just been this year, which kind of blows your mind when you look at the numbers. If you go all the way back to February of 2015, since then, they're 63-3 and at That's- home. That's like the most one of the more mind-boggling college basketball stats to me. I saw that, and it's nuts. It's, I mean, Leonard Hamilton, sixty-three and three. My God, um, but yeah, no. I mean, they obviously uh, they play well at home. So we, you know, I saw. I think we're two and a half point underdogs, which that was. I mean, a little bit in the range. I thought we'd be more like four-point underdogs, but um, yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, it's gonna be a dogfight. I'm I'm really looking forward to it. The home, like those numbers, it reminds me a little bit of the mid 2000s with Notre Dame, and I know everybody knows our history up there. How Rick Pitino was never able to beat them in the Joy Center, and we had all those close calls, and just, just could never get over the hump. They were really good against everybody for like a weird two or three year period. And they had a, a stat that was, I don't remember the exact number, but it was something close to what we just said about Florida State. Like they were, you know, 54 and, and four or something in Big East home games. And it was equally weird because, I mean, you and I have been to the Joy Center. It's not an overly hostile environment, it's tiny. Notre Dame fans are obviously way more into football than they are basketball. They're not, you know, overly hostile or anything like that. Florida State's the exact same way. I mean, it's a it's a football school. They don't focus on basketball. They've kind of gotten into it in recent years because they've been good. But there's never anything about that home environment when you turn on an ACC game and you know they're playing at the Tucker Center where you say, man, like that's a really really tough place to play. Like it doesn't seem to make sense that they are this dominant. And I, I guess it's just a testament to how good their teams have been. Here, here's my theory. 
they have the huge seminal logo on center court that takes up like pretty much like the entire court. Louisville this year gets the entire like the huge old school Cardinal dunking bird. Ooh. Start winning games there. Now we're going there. We're used to the big logo. I could totally see us stealing a game here just because of that. I like it. I also <laughs> that big logo. If you haven't noticed, I've said this a billion times. It looks like a screaming Rick Patino wearing a, a headdress. It like look it up right now. If you ha- if you haven't heard me say this before, because I've said it a billion times or tweeted it a billion times. Look it up right now. Look at that midcourt logo. You'll never be able to look at it the same way again. It looks like a screaming Rick Pitino with war paint on. Like, that's exactly it, it. And every time I watch them play at home, it's all I can think of now. So we got two things going for us. I, I feel pretty. And even though we haven't beaten them there the last couple of years, the last three years, we've played them really close. Like, we should have won that game last year on their home floor. And then we did beat them with, uh, with David Padgett. We beat them on their home floor and then beat them again in the ACC tournament. So, like, it's not like it's not like we haven't at least had some taste of success in that building. We're one of the three teams to beat them there since 2015. Yeah. And last year, besides the Duke game, that was the most frustrating game of the season to me. Cause I feel like that was a game we had in hand. And then they kind of threw on a press on us at the end of the game and we couldn't handle it. But yeah, I mean, when you really kind of dig into this game, um, the reason I think it's a tough matchup is just because of the, their their length um and but the good thing for us is it's almost like we have two new players that um we got going into this game with the emergence of david johnson and then the emergence of malik Mm. um so i I think we have that going for us i like that dave's a uh you know a bigger size guard um than we you know I, i know he played a little bit the first game but definitely probably didn't have the confidence or like the impact that he'll have on this upcoming game. And then, like you said, I mean, Malik has just turned into, you know, a, a leader, um, one of our better players and a guy you can count on every single night. So uh, having those two, um, you know, and with Jordan starting to, you know, get it going a little bit, I feel um, a lot better about our chances than, than you know, maybe I would have uh, a couple weeks ago. Yeah, looking at the first box score from uh, the FSU win, 78-65 on our home floor, back first game of 2020. It's First of all, it, the, the thing that jumps out at you is all the talk about Jordan Ward doesn't step up in big games. He no-shows in big games. Like, the guy <laughs> scored 32 fucking points and had 10 rebounds in this game. He was the only guy that we had to do anything. Uh, Stephen Enoch played okay. He had 10 points and four boards. But I had forgotten that David Johnson played 19 minutes. Like th- This was kind of before his his emergence where he really became a thing. And I know he was playing a little bit before the Duke game, but the Duke game was really where you were like, all right, this guy has to be on the floor 25 minutes every game. He played 19 in that game. He was two of nine from the field, had six rebounds, three assists, did have three turnovers. He fell victim like everybody else did to the Florida State pressure. But he he was obviously not playing at the level that he's playing now. But it's glaring to look at Malik Williams' minutes and see that he only played 15 minutes. Two, uh, Two rebounds, two points. Really had no impact on the game whatsoever. You have to assume that neither of those things are going to be the case. You have to assume David Johnson's going to play more minutes and he's going to play better. And Malik Williams is probably going to continue to be the guy who gets the lion's share of the minutes in the paint. It's going to be Stephen Enoch who's probably playing closer to 15 minutes or so this time around. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I think from a defensive standpoint, Obviously, it's going to be huge having those two on the floor versus kind of what we had last time. And that's 
nothing against Steve. I just think Malik is a, a lot better defender, um, especially for this type of game. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I went back and I watched like the, you know, condensed game that you can find online. And one thing Florida State does, they did really good that game was they would penetrate past our guards and kick for open threes. So we got to keep them out of the lane. Um, and yeah, I mean, we, it, it's the game plan by everyone going in, but we got to be able to handle their pressure. Um, you know, if, if, if they get up into us, you know, drive and kick, drive and dish off down low, but it's, it's going to be tough. I mean, I, uh, they're just so balanced across the board. Um, you know, uh, Vassell's their leading score at 12.9, but I mean, Forrest and Walker, they can get theirs any night. So it's, it's just, they kind of, you kind of got to pick your poison with them. The thing that drove me the most crazy about the first game, going back and watching a little bit of it um, earlier today, it wasn't necessarily like our guys getting beat off the dribble was definitely frustrating, but it was more, I felt like we overhelped way too much. Like we had, we, first of all, MJ Walker had already hit like a billion threes and we just kept leaving him wide open for threes, which at that point, like give the guy a layup, like, like make him make a contested layup rather than give up a MJ Walker wide open three when he's made four in the last three minutes. But we had guys who just assumed that their teammate was going to get beat off the bounce. Like there were a couple of times where Fresh Kimball, Darius Perry, Jordan Wara would just come over to stop a drive when whoever was guarding the person with the ball was in pretty good position, doing a pretty good job. And that's the kind of stuff like overhelping is as much of an issue as not helping when you're supposed to. And especially when a team is shooting out of its mind from three, like Florida State was in that game, it really, really just just killed us. And the we talked about David Johnson coming of age and Malik Williams having such a good Florida state kind of has a, a similar thing going right now with Patrick Williams. Who's uh, you know, the freshman forward. He came off the bench, didn't really do anything against the first go round. He's without question, their best NBA prospect. And he's been fantastic. The last couple of weeks, uh, he had 12 points in the win over NC state 16 over Pitt, 17 against Syracuse. He's a freak athlete. He's a, he has the ability to be a really good defender, shoots the three. Okay. At least well enough to, to make you respect it. But he adds a different element to them. Like, like Florida State's playing really well right now. We're not the only ones that have picked up a guy or two along the line and are playing better now than we were back in early January. They're in the same exact position we are. You mentioned Devin Vassell. He's been fantastic. He could be a first-team All-ACC guy. But they've got a lot of dudes. The one dude that they don't have, and this to me, I want to talk about this for just a couple minutes. Do, do you remember the name Bossa Copravisa? <laughs> Uh, it sounds like a name off Breaking Bad, uh, but no, I don't. So he is the guy who basically we got in trouble for talking about in that hotel with Jordan Fair in July. He's the sec- He's the other guy besides okay, Brian Okay, yeah. All right, now that, yeah, I know you're talking about. So uh, also the player that LSU coach Will Wade was talking about when he said shut the door and we will do this, but it's got to be a strong-ass offer. We've got to make sure that we get him here. Like, like That's the guy that he was talking about. One, everybody thought his name was Balsa Caprivica. That's how everybody pronounced his name the, this entire time. Two, he sucks. He's terrible at basketball. So the, <laughs> he's, he's the perfect central figure of this whole college basketball scandal because he's a dude that people were talking about paying literally six figures to come play for their school. Nobody in the world knew how to pronounce his name. And then two, we find out he's not even any good. So that, like, if you watch it, I remember he got in the, the first game against us. He only played a couple minutes. Didn't do anything. Every time he gets in games from Florida State, he goes out there and you're like, 
how did anybody think this guy was worth paying $150,000 for? What were we all thinking? But I don't think we need to worry about Balsa Copravisa uh, on on Monday night. But yeah. just a little blast from the past there. Uh, and I don't want to rehash. No one wants to rehash the, the scandal. But it seems like all those guys that got caught up in that, whether it was Antonio Blakely or Jaquan Lyle or, or Balsa. Like, I know Blakely had a cup of coffee in the NBA, but the fact that like none of these guys really turned out to to do like too much makes it even more depressing. It's just like, God, I mean, like could have at least been like someone who was like a top three pick that were like, all right, this is like can't miss. But yeah, we really screwed the pooch on that one. It was kind of funny that like Antonio Blakeney, they, they were talking about him. He had a couple of really good moments in the NBA and it was like, he's finally turning the corner and then like, boom, he's gone. Like, like he, he's, he's released. He's, he's not a bull anymore. He's playing for the Jinsu dragons in, I think China right now. It's it, that's the same kid who guaranteed LSU was going to win a national title. His freshman yeah. <laughs> kind of goes through yeah. the decision-making process there. I was going to say, it doesn't sound like a guy that's probably going to stick around the league too long. Uh, as far as FSU is considered, too, I mean, they play that tough-nosed defense. You know what they're going to do. And that's the thing about Florida State is that it's, they're not all that difficult to game plan for. You know they're going to be, it's going to be pressure defense for 40 minutes. They're going to try to get a bunch of turnovers. They're ninth in the country when it comes to turnover percentage. You just have to find a, a way to handle that pressure. They also, I said that they shot out of their minds against us from three. They did, but that kind of became the norm. They've been shooting really well from three ever since that game. They're a 48th in the country in three-point percentage. So you've got to defend the three. You've got to deal with their pressure. It's a, a little bit of a – they don't have those inside monsters that they've had in years past, like the Chris Kamaji, the uh, – the other seven-foot-one kid. They have some of them on their roster. They just don't play big-time minutes for them. This is more of a guard-driven team. Patrick Williams uh, making that that jump in recent weeks has changed that just a little bit. But if you take care of Trent Forrest, who makes them go, if you take care of uh, MJ Walker, if you if you make sure that Devin Vassell isn't killing you, you can stop this team. The issue is those are all like six-foot-four, six-foot-five guys with really ridiculous wingspans. I, I, I think that having David Johnson playing with this level of confidence, though, changes your entire game plan for this. But if you had to point to somebody besides David Johnson, and we'll say besides Jordan Wara, who really could step up and make an impact on this game for Louisville um, in a way that they didn't the first go-round, who do you look at here? I'd probably look at Dwayne. I think there's going to be a chance that we'll be able to get on the boards pretty well against these guys. Um, I, I know like they're long and athletic, but the, a lot of that's at the guard spot. I think down low. Um, we're they don't rebound an, very well. No. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna have an advantage on the glass, uh, and you know, hopefully, we can get some second chance points. Um, but yeah, I mean, the the nice part about the, these last couple games, and, and I kind of thought we talked we touched on this a little bit was we 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 talked about we're gonna need more than you know just Jordan stepping up and carrying us, and we, we've kind of got contributions from everyone, like even against Carolina. Darius, I thought the minutes that he played was that was the best minutes he's given us in you know a couple weeks. Um, so it's good that you know we're not just having the same guy night in and night out carrying us. We're having different guys step up. But if I could you know kind of pinpoint one guy, and especially with a game of this magnitude, you want to look for your team leaders to to be the ones to step up. So I'm probably going to put the onus on Dwayne to kind of, you know, have the uh, the big game for us. No, I'm right there with you. Um, I, I think that Dwayne needs to be – if you look at – and somebody pointed this out, and I wish I knew who it was, and this was several months ago. This was, I think, after the Texas Tech game. 
and pointed to the, to the early season this year and then all the way back to last season, every single game, and looked, really said Dwayne Sutton was the difference maker between when Louisville was really good as a team and when Louisville was really bad as a team. And it's kind of been the case again this year. Like when he's shooting above his average from the outside and still giving you, you know, 10 rebounds or thereabouts and, and playing that great defense that he always is, Louisville's a much different team than when he has that, you know, rough shooting performance. He's always going to play hard, but sometimes he does get held off the glass against some of the bigger teams that have six, eight, six foot nine guys down low um, that are at the four spot or the three spot. But if he can play better than he did in game one, because he didn't really, he, he kind of disappeared in that game the first go around against them. If he can be his normal self where he's giving you somewhere around the double double, I think that can make a world of difference. And also just being able to defend because they have, they have those little tweeners. They have those six foot five guys where you're playing them at the three or the four. Dwayne can fill that role too. He can defend those types of players. And I think this is a, a great game for him. If he does wind up drawing Devin Vassell, I think he can check him pretty effectively. Uh, we'll see what happens there. Last thing, I guess if we're going to talk about the North Carolina game, the starting lineup changed back. We kind of expected that it may be Ryan McMahon not getting the start against UNC after he did in the game against Syracuse. They do start Fresh Campbell. Fresh, I, I thought, played pretty well in that game. Who would you like to see? I mean, if we assume that the, the four that have been the four for the last two games are still the four, who do you want to see at that fifth spot uh, on, on Monday? That's really tough for me because you would look in, at this matchup and say it's probably not a good matchup for Ryan. And I don't remember – I don't think he did too much the first game, but I know he played really well, or at least he shot the ball really well there last year when we played him. Um, and, yeah, I, you would think fresh from a defensive standpoint is probably going to be a, a better matchup than Ryan. I would think we're probably going to see fresh – um, start this game. Uh, I'm I'm not going to be mad either way. Um, I thought Fresh was fine when he was in there. He did did some nice things yesterday. So uh, as long as they got the the kind of core four in there, it, whoever they rotate between Ryan and Fresh, it doesn't matter. But if I had to guess, I would say it's going to be Fresh. I think so too. I, I mean, I, Ryan didn't do anything in the first game against FSU. I think he only took five shots. Uh, only scored two points. Didn't make a three. You're right, though. When we played them down there last year, and I guess I just totally forgot this, he was three or four from three uh, at Florida State last season when we played them in their building. So maybe something to keep an eye on. I don't know. I mean, they're both going to get big-time minutes, but I think Fresh, he defends better. He's more of a hard-nosed guy. I think he can deal with that pressure a little bit better. And the one thing about FSU's, like that that full-court 40 man-to-man pressure, all that stuff, Louisville, we didn't we, we weren't terrible when it came to like just giving away easy live ball turnovers the first go around. When when we turned the ball over against them, it was more just like, like walks and, and, and kind of throwaways out of bounds. There wasn't a whole lot of we gave it up against their pressure and they got a quick steal and an easy bucket. It was more self inflicted stuff. I, I thought we handled it a lot better than we did a year ago. Not that we handled it great by any stretch, but it was more like the defense affected us more in not being able to get good shots out of our half court offense than it did. We just couldn't control the ball or couldn't handle it or couldn't you know, get the ball up court. Um, I, I guess, do you feel, how confident are you that not, not just this is going to be a closer game than it was? Because it's, it's humbling to be beaten by 13 points on your home floor in a game where you really got your ass kicked from start to finish. So I guess the overall question for Louisville is how much could have possibly changed in two months? How confident are you that Louisville not just improves enough to, to keep this thing close in Tallahassee, but can actually win this game and seize control of this ACC regular season title race? I just think because of the stakes and like the moment, I just don't see how there's any way we don't show up for this game. Like I think the last time we had a game where 
you know, we kind of put it on a pedestal was when we were at Cameron Indoor and we kind of saw how how well we came out and played that game. So, I mean, obviously with Malik anchoring the defense now, um, I think that's a huge improvement. And then with, with Dave running the point, obviously, I think, you know, that's a big improvement for us. But it, it's, you know, it's just going to come down to – I mean, we're going to have to make shots. We're going to have to play defense. And I mean, they're tough. We could even, we could play well and still lose this game. That's how good Florida State is. But um, I, I don't see any way that we don't come out and, you know, at least give uh, a B-plus to an A-minus effort. Yeah, the like the ACC stakes are obvious. The, I think, tournament seeding stakes are I mean, you can make the case that this is a seed line game, at least in theory, if you know, whoever, if, if we win out after we win this game and if Florida State wins out and we play in the, the conference tournament championship game and we win, like you can make the case that this is the difference between us being a three or a two or a two or a one or something along those lines. But I think even more than that, this feels like it's going to be a referendum on Louisville at the moment. Because if you lose the game and you lose relatively handily, everybody says that team that, that looked like shit against Clemson and looked like shit against Georgia Tech, that's who they are. They The only reason they played well last week was because they played a Syracuse team that doesn't match up well with them and isn't all that good, and a UNC team that's, you know, they're dead. It's, it's over. Like, that's that, this is who they are. If you win, then I think everybody turns the page from that bad week and says, you know, fluky thing. They had some stuff. They got it figured out. They're right there. They're as good as anybody. They have just as good a shot as just about anybody in the country to win the national title. I feel like that's the way – like, that's how big this game is when it comes to – Louisville's reputation at the moment I, I don't think I'm overstating it am I no I, I don't think so at all and while you were talking I was just pondering in my mind do you think there's a chance we see more zone um tomorrow night with the fact that we got beat off the dribble so much last game and with the fact that it's going to be a charge up environment um one thing I'm a little afraid of is you know, getting them into the bonus early. They're the best free throw, free throw shooting team in the ACC. Um, I, I would think we might see more zone, but I, I could be wrong about that. I don't know what your opinion is. I would, I, I think that maybe it's one of those deals that you play by ear. If they come out and they're shooting it like they did the first time against us from the outside, then, I mean, it'd be you'd be hard pressed those out. We did, if I'm remembering correctly, we did it for a, like a, a few sh- a short stretch in the first game, and it really worked well. Even though we had, it looked like we had no idea what we were doing, but it kind of threw them for a loop, and then we went away from it, and, and Florida State really pulled away again. I, I wouldn't be shocked at all just to see Chris pull out something different, just just yeah. to maybe mix it up a little bit. But who knows? I, I think my 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 guess is that they come out with a game plan of we're going to do what we do and hope it goes well, and hope that we don't have to change anything, and hope we don't have to get gimmicky but that they also will have that in their back pocket and maybe throw it out there just in case. But I don't know. It's like Florida state does seem like a bad matchup for us. But again, if you want to win a national title, you're going to, you're probably going to have to play one of those six teams, uh, one of those six games against a team that's a bad matchup for you. So getting over that hump, getting the job done. I I think this is a a really, this could be a real coming of age moment for this U of L team to have. I know the Duke game obviously was a corner turning moment. This could be that, like we're we're ready. We're we're fully locked in. We're geared up for this home stretch moment. And if you lose it, like it, it's not the worst thing in the entire world. But I don't know, man. It, it would be awesome to win it. It'd be awesome to to be able to at least control your own destiny when it comes to sharing a conference championship, being the number one seed in the conference tournament, and potentially you know being a two seed and having a shot at an outside shot at a one seed. And that's what's on the line here. Um, 
I feel oddly good about it. I feel oddly good about the fact that we're going to be right there in the end. Like, I, I would be shocked if this game plays out the same way it played back in January. I'll say that. Yeah, no, I I kind of feel the same way. I was going to ask what your nerve level was, 1 through 10. Um, like, I, I'm, like, more excited than nervous just because I don't think a loss is going to totally, like, I mean, I know for, like, seeding purposes, we definitely want to win this game, but I don't think a loss is, like, going to totally destroy us. So no. uh, I just have, like, a really optimistic kind of look going into this game. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's – plus it's the end of February. March is right around the corner, and it kind of has that March feel to it a little bit. It does. And, I mean, I, the other weird thing about the way the schedule is set up, which, first of all, one of the good things about – being able to play North Carolina when they were so shorthanded that we kind of controlled the entire game was we got to rest some guys because, and the game also got moved up two hours because Carolina was so shitty that we couldn't get college game day. If it had been a six o'clock game against a typical Carolina team that makes you run for 40 straight minutes and you get up and down and it's, you know, blistering pace and guys are just exhausted. That's a really tough ass to then fly to Tallahassee and play maybe the best team in the conference on their home floor 48 hours later because it was played at four and because it was, a game where our stars could get a little bit of rest in the second half. I feel like maybe it's not the it's it's a minor thing, but still it's something that you have in your in your corner. Florida State, meanwhile, they played a pretty tough game at NC State that was close throughout. But like, I just I feel better about this than I thought I was going to even a few weeks ago. Like I, I I'm with you. It's not the worst thing in the world if they lose, and I'll still feel pretty optimistic about our chances long term. But man, like I would not be shocked at all if we go down there and we look like a different team than the one that they saw back in January. I think that we'll, I, I think we're going to play pretty well. I feel pretty good about our, our chances here. So, you know, we'll see what happens. Uh, do, do you care to throw out a final score prediction? Oh man, um, this is tough. <laughs> I I haven't picked against the card since we've had this pod, um, and I feel like I, I'm going to do it. I. I I, I think Florida State's really good. I think they're a team that can be there in the end. Um, I'm going to say Florida State wins 70 to 67. I think it's reasonable. I'm going to say Louisville wins. I'm going to say Louisville wins 72 to 70. I'll say it's a really close game, and we make it. We make the plays down the stretch. Did you see the, that stat that came out that said in the last four minutes of games or overtime? Louisville's been the best defensive team in the country. Like that, that's one of those things we talk so much about, you know, finish and stop, you know, blowing all the games that you did last year and collapsing late and all this stuff. Louisville has been fantastic down the stretch of games, especially defensively. When they've lost those games, it's been because they haven't been able to get buckets on the offensive end. I mean, that's a, a comforting thing going into a game that, again, I'd be shocked if it's out of question one, one way or the other going into that last segment of the second half. Yeah, and it's, it's hard to pick the cards losing in a close game because if the game is close at the end, I have a lot of confidence in the team that they're going to end up pulling out the win. Um, I just, I don't want to predict like Florida state 70 us 54. I can't do it. Um, but yeah, I, I, I just think Florida state's really good, but I do think we'll, we'll bring a, um, bring the fight to him. I just, you know, in the end, I just think, I mean, their record at home is what it is for a reason. That's why I'm going Florida State. All right. Do you have a a day in the dump story for us today? It, it's it's nothing like earth shattering. It's kind of it, it's really for me and you. So for anyone that doesn't know, uh, me and you are in a we split a fantasy golf team. 
Um, and the way the fantasy golf league works is you get to pick uh, a player each week um, for like every PGA tour event throughout the year. And then once you use the player, you cannot use them again. Um, so this week was the world golf championships in Mexico. And I had texted you on Wednesday afternoon, picks are due, you know, by, you know, tea times on Thursday. I said, you know what? All this Patrick Reed controversy going on, he's going to be in fuck you mode and probably just going to go out and win this thing. So let's go with Patrick Reed. And you're like, I love it. Let's let's go with the villain. And then like right before we were like going to make our pick, I go, uh, you know what? Let's change it to Kevin Kisner. Oh and what do you know? Patrick Reed, Patrick Reed wins the tournament, um, and we we lose out on probably a little payday there. So we've done yeah. this like fifteen we, fucking that's times the over thing. two like, years. We, it's unbelievable. We're we're announcing it today. This has happened a lot over the last year and a half. Like we, if we're down to two golfers, we'll pick the one that gets like a tied for fifty first, and the other golfer will either win or get like a top five. So pretty much the story of our gambling lives. It's unbelievable. And the worst part is we would have gotten Patrick Reed, who's a, I mean, just unredeemable asshole that I yeah. can't stand. We would have gotten like something out of him. And now we're probably going to have to pick him again at some point and feel worse. And he's probably going to miss the cut. It's going to be, yeah, that was terrible. Um, if you haven't yet subscribed to the pod, we would love it if you would do that for us. We also would love when we get ratings and reviews and trying to encourage you guys to write some reviews. We'd like to end the pod by reading a couple of those. Um, Walker Grenade says, I wanted to thank you guys so much for putting this pod together. I live in Indianapolis and have a 30 to 45 minute drive to work. Your pod's a perfect way to forget about traffic and just listen to some in-depth analysis of our favorite team. I appreciate what you, what you guys do and keep up the good work. Um, Colonel Mike Hunt, uh, love that name. Great job. Shout out to Bart Simpson. Says, good pod, a twice-fired radio show host and his high school buddy with terrible luck, chopping it up about <laughs> cards and basketball. Keep up the good work, Mike and Dan. Only once fired. Only only once. The uh, the other one I le- left on my own accord, but appreciate it. Uh, um, Jonathan N.A. Sa- Jonathan Na says, one of my favorite podcasts. Mike, I may have missed it during the podcast, but I think you missed a potential opportunity for naming your future children. Rather than Duke Rutherford or Kentucky Rutherford, you, can sh- you should consider the team nicknames, which would give you more bang for the buck. Somebody did notice <laughs> that since, uh, since Georgetown Rutherford was proposed a couple of episodes ago, we're back on the winning streak. Maybe that's uh, – and I, I, I told that person, if we win out, if we from the, the Syracuse game on don't lose a game, I think that would make us go 15-0 and to end the season, I'll name our next-born Georgetown Rutherford. It's happening. Georgetown Rutherford's got a nice ring. Now, I will say Duke Rutherford, that guy fucks. Uh, that's, yeah. That's, a, yeah, yeah. that's a pretty badass name right there. So, um, but yeah, He plays no, really I, good music that nobody yeah. listens to. <laughs> I, I like the theory. All right. Uh, any parting thoughts before we get out of here? Um, let's get the W. I know the guys are going to be ready. Um, I'm excited to watch it. Uh, obviously, any like juiced up atmosphere kind of gets me going. So I'm I'm pretty pumped. I mean, top ten matchup, ACC game of the year potentially, conference championship potentially on the line, number two seed or number three seed or number one seed on the line. I mean, this is this is fucking great. Like, this is what we think about the entire year. We look forward to these nights. I couldn't be more excited. I'm really, really hoping we get a celebration pod here. Maybe emergency pod Monday night. Maybe emergency pod Tuesday morning. Uh, regardless, I hope that the next time we're talking to you, the next time we're listening to you, we are just unbridled enthusiasm permeates through years. I'm excited about this. Let's get it done. Go Cards. Beat Florida State.
Go Cards!